This is Dev Propulsion Labs, the podcast about building successful developer tools, hosted by Evil Martians. Hi, it's Dev Propulsion Labs, and I'm your host, Victoria Milnikova. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. Please welcome Monica Sarbo, CEO and founder at Zeta. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be uh, with you today. Uh, I mean, you already said quite a bit about myself. So uh, I think what's uh, not said is, uh, yeah, that I have a little daughter. She's nine and I'm based in Berlin in Germany. Sounds pretty great. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are today? And maybe we can start with, you know, going a little bit back in time. Tell us about the Beats, what inspired the creation of Beats and how did you foresee its massive success or did you actually foresee its massive success of adoption? So at that time when I started Beats, before that, I had quite a lot of experience building monitoring tools for uh, the telecom space. And I decided to start a new company and kind of to reuse all the knowledge that I have acquired uh, until then. For, I think I was working for a few years already, five or six years or so. And so I decided to build a, a monitoring solution that is more general and not only for the telecom space, but it can be used differently. And at that time, the monitoring space, it was a very crowded space. So and you say as a founder, why should I start another solution when there are lots of other solutions that are very successful? So we had to have a different approach uh, on monitoring. And what we did, basically, all the other companies, they were looking at blocks and metrics. And what we did differently, well, we were looking at the network traffic. And the idea, you know, we start with the network traffic in order to kind of have a different perspective. And then we start also collecting uh, logs and metrics. And then at some point it came, became like uh, the, a normal uh, term, right? To have this uh, observability as it was called back then. Uh, but at the beginning when I started, uh, it was not uh, the case. So initially it was not an open source project. I decided to do it open source later because I was not a good running engineer. So it was very difficult to build also the backend and also the UI that, you know, you can, you can easily visualize the data. So I decided to use Kibana instead and we built some extensions on top of Kibana. I mean, back then it was kind of a different story, open source was not so common uh, when you were launching something open source. I think you had higher chances to be noticed in the market. And I think it is nowadays, but also that me- meant for us that it was very difficult to get investment in a company from an investor that believes in open source and also at least in Germany, in Berlin at that time. Um, that also has experience with death tool type of company. Um, so basically we had to bootstrap and, and put our money in the startup. And then we started to, you know, to get a few interesting companies that were interested to acquire us. So we decided to join Forge with Elastic. Being acquired by Elastic is kind of like a dream come true for a smaller death tool project, right? Especially when you don't have access to those you know, opportunities in funding, as you mentioned. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. 
how did that happen? And also, I know that you took part in Elastic's going through IPO, right? As the yes. core team. So I'd love to learn more about that as well. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, for us, it was important to join a company and we can continue our vision. And we had this discussion with two of the founders of Elastic and I've seen that we have a common vision. So we decided to join forces with them and kind of uh, felt like, in a way, it was an alternative to investment. And Elastic is this type of company that they acquired a lot of companies, I mean, many companies over the years. And the advantage is that you could influence the roadmap of Elasticsearch and Kibana that we are using to build this end-to-end experience for your monitoring solution. So for us, it was just, uh, you know, we had much better um, uh, outcome because of this. And yeah, so I stayed in Elastic for five or six years. Uh, over the years, we also acquired other companies in order to move uh, into other spaces. Uh, and that was very excited. I think this was one of the best decisions we took, right? I think it was, we are functioning independent, uh, as an independent, if you want, team inside Elastic. And yeah, we are also very lucky to be part of uh, the IPO. Uh, we work quite hard to, to reach this level of IPO and, and the celebration at the network exchange was something that, yeah, not many people will, uh, unfortunately, or experienced this. Yeah, I could imagine. So when the, the beat was acquired by Elastic, has that acquisition changed the trajectory of beats at all? Or how did you feel that impacted, you know, the direction of the product? I think we were able to move faster quickly. We were able to hire the best people in the world because Elastic was a distributed company from day one. And at that time, in 2015, there were not so many companies that have fully distributed. And this was had, I think, in my opinion, a huge impact uh, because I've seen over the years how much you can achieve with a very small team and very high senior engineers we had in the team. Um, so I think, I don't know uh, what will, ha- will have happened if we are just, uh, you know, had a company yeah, in Berlin, for example, and being able to to hire people in a limited area. Interesting. Um, out of curiosity, did you have to work remotely? Like, did you stay in Berlin and your team was distributed or how did that work for you? Yeah, so I was working distributed remote for the, my entire time in Elastic. Before Elastic, I was working in the, in the office, so I kind of experienced both worlds. And for me, I wouldn't really move back to work from the office. And the main reason, there are multiple reasons. So one of them, I think the most important when you run a company that is building DevTool is to have really amazing people. And uh, if you are not restricted to an area or to a country, you have a bigger pool of engineers that you can hire. And I think, and I've seen that, that this was a key part of our success. Another question still on that topic, what happened to the open source? Did it remain open source? So how did that transition happen as uh, Beats was acquired by Elastic? 
Yes, it remained open source and uh, Packet Pit was one of the first uh, bits that we created. And then we started to create more uh, bits uh, and each bit had a different function. So there were agents that you install on your server and they collect all kinds of operational data. So we had one bit that, for example, was collecting metrics, one that was collecting logs and so on. So in the end, we had seven or eight bits. And it was interesting that it was open source, but the type of uh, customers that we had was quite of a wide variety from smaller customers to very large organizations that uh, were collecting with bits so much data that, to be honest with you, I never believed that that was even possible. Yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty magical. Let's move on to the next kind of like stage in your life. Tell us about Tupo.io. What inspired you to champion diversity in tech? Uh, lead into that formation. And can you share maybe like some memorable success story from this initiative? So I started to go to conferences uh, to discuss about this topic, diversity in tech. And initially I started to go to uh, women-related conferences. And then I realized that, you know, the audience already knows about these problems. What should I share uh, problems that everyone knows? Um, and then I uh, realized that I think best would be to go to normal technical conferences and discuss about diversity problems. Uh, and I think this was such a huge impact on the audience that I didn't really believe myself. And I had this talk about how it is to feel like to be a woman in tech. And you go to a male dominant conference and you discuss about these topics and, and people come to you and say, oh, I didn't even realize this. And definitely you change my perspective and then I will try to do better, you know, especially managers. I think it's important for them to be aware of all these issues. And then when the pandemic started, I wanted to do a bit more uh, to have more uh, women in tech um, because before I, I had the chance to hear so many really bad stories uh, about how other women in tech are, are dealing um, with day-to-day -day, uh, work. And so I decided to do something for the society. And I started this uh, nonprofit organization called Tupo de Bayo. And basically, uh, it's a mentorship program. We extended more than women. So anyone can be a mentee and anyone, of course, is a mentor. And yeah, we, uh, I think, you know, sometimes you have a problem at work and uh, it's very difficult to discuss this problem with someone in the company, uh, but it's very easy for you to discuss with someone outside. And sometimes just a, a very small advice can change your life, right? So there are so many statistics. They say women in tech leave tech after um, a few years. Um, so that's why it's, nowadays it's very rarely to find a woman in, in, at a senior level, um, and 50% did that. So uh, I was, uh, so my goal was how we can uh, reduce this percentage and have more technical companies, uh, support women in tech because one of the main reasons is the toxic environment in the tech mm -hmm. companies. And, um, many companies are not even aware of, uh, how they can improve the situation. 
Do you feel like that changed over the, you know, past like five to 10 years? Yes, definitely changed. Uh, I think that more companies uh, have this as a goal to increase the number of percentage in their company women, like diversity in general. But there are still stories where that I heard that they hire women especially and they don't really let them uh, work on the most interesting projects. So I think it's important to also be able to support them and grow them and have leaders in the company that can be a role model for all the others. So I think for me, this is important because diversity, diverse teams can build better projects and, you know, diversity you can get from different things. You know, you can get from people that have different backgrounds. And if you are a diverse uh, company or if you are a, a distributed company, uh, you get this diversity by default, but also gender diversity is also an important one. And I've seen this change in my career, right? So for us, it's important to have diversity in SETA and also before the last day in my teams, I did really huge efforts to make this possible. Yeah. And I mean, having women like you as role models for many other women across the globe, you know, is extremely important. It's the same for me. For example, the CEO of Evil Martians is a woman, you know, which is a rare occurrence in our industry and every time i encounter women like you like irina i get inspired to do more you know and it's important i really like the mentorship approach because other women across the globe they can get in touch with a mentor and really get inspired and see new horizons uh, which is i think important in increasing diversity and i'm not speaking specifically about women i'm just drawing an example there yeah, fortunately, there are so many books out there that can teach you about this. Um, but I, the problem that I find with books is that you usually have a specific problem or a custom problem and you, it's very hard to find a solution for your problem in books. And that's why I think mentorship is really helping people. Unfortunately, building a nonprofit organization, I, I know, I realize this, it's uh, very difficult compared to building, you know, for profit uh, mm -hmm. or a for-profit organization. Uh, so I would have loved to have more support to be able to do something like this better. Awesome. So from what I, I know, Tupu.io kind of led you to founding Zeta, is that right? Yes, I didn't really have the, um, the thought to even start a new company, but uh, I found there is a huge opportunity. So when we were building Tupu, uh, we were looking for a database solution to solve all our problems. And actually, we didn't really want that like rocket science type of functionality. We wanted a database, a relational database that you can store mentors and mentees and the relations between them. You know, coming from Elastic, it was very important to have a full text search functionality. So, for example, you as a mentee, you want to search for the mentor, for the right mentor. So, for example, if you are in marketing, you are only interested about uh, mentors in marketing. We also want you to have this pressure-like um, UI, like Airtable has. Uh, has uh, we really like this opportunity to do manual matching between mentors and mentees and to visualize the data in a, a very easy way. 
And we also want it to be fully managed so we don't have to do much. Imagine that when you're running a nonprofit, uh, especially then you want to spend less resources in building the data platform. You want to spend all our resources in building the platform that in order to help as many people as possible. And we also want you to work with serverless applications. Um, we couldn't find any of the solution. And looking in the database space, I think from my perspective, there were not so much innovation happening as it was, for example, in the monitoring solution space that was very crowded and still very crowded. So I realized there is a huge opportunity to build the next generation of databases that is easier to use and you don't have to be a developer that needs to understand how a database works in order to be able to use and manage on in production. But mostly I think what is important is that um, applications nowadays, they have high requirements that they used to have in the past years. You really need to have multiple data stores and you have to glue them together in, in order to get all the functionality that you need, right? Like I mentioned, you also need not only, for example, Postgres, but also you need something like Elasticsearch for full text search. And now with AI functionality, probably, you know, you need even more functionality that you want to um, offer to your application. And companies basically, they need to build this data platform internally. And my thinking was like, why every company out there needs to reinvent the wheel when they can concentrate all their resources in building a product because in the end, their users, they don't really care about uh, the data platform and how much time and resources you spend on your data platform. They really care about the functionality that you're providing in your product. So I think this is the future we are going to. And I think it's uh, now it's the right time to build those tools that offer that uh, to developers. What is the ideal customer of Zeta? Who is that person? So developers, we started with front-end developers and now basically we are going towards back-end engineers. And that's because we offer our SDK. So initially we, we have our TypeScript SDK. We also have the Python SDK. There is a Go SDK built by the community. We are slowly adding more SDKs. And yeah, we currently have our own API. Uh, what I learned uh, in the in, since I started SEDA is that people, uh, like our users would like to have uh, SQL access. So we, we are slowly adding this um, support for users. I'm curious, you mentioned Airtable and you mentioned the spreadsheet-like interface, right? Since launching Zeta in general, what kind of feedback have you received from early adopters, especially people transitioning from tools like Airtable? I think Airtable, in my opinion, was... Um, eye-opening for many developers uh, because you are able to build or to deal with data in a very easy and intuitive way. Uh, Airtable was not built to be used as a database, but because of this trend or serverless applications, there were not really many database options, serverless data uh, database mm -hmm. options. So what happened is that Developers were using Airtable as a serverless database because, I mean, the main problem in serverless applications is, is that you cannot really keep a connection to your database. And now slowly there are more other serverless databases that are starting on the market uh, to, to rise. 
but uh, back then it was not so uh, many options. So what we basically achieve is that you get the usability of Airtable and you put it on top of a traditional database. And what we did is we launched two main features that were innovative that no one had before. And this is something that I think were, was helping us time kind of to attract attention from developers. So the first feature that we launched were, we call it workflow. So basically it's similar with, uh, Versail deployment, a deployed mm-hmm. review, but for the database. So what this means is that because we support branching. So what this means is that if you have, um, a new feature, that basically requires a change in your schema. You can branch your database, you can change the schema, and you can also have the option to copy the data uh, to the new branch. And then if everything looks good, then you can merge it in production. And it's very well integrated with platforms like GitHub, uh, but mm-hmm. also Vercel and Netlify. And the second feature that we launched is file attachments. And basically our goal is to have support more data types than the traditional databases. And this was one of the big steps towards that to offer file attachment as a, as a data type. And, and because I mean, nowadays applications require storing images. For example, you have your users and you know, each user has an avatar, for example, or, or or image and your, for example, you're a company that needs to collect the bills mm-hmm. uh, from your users. You also need probably to collect the PDFs. So I think it's nowadays more and more applications require uh, managing files, uh, not only images, but files in general. So I think it's more important to have this natively integrated into the database. I actually want to stay on Zeta for a little bit longer. So. Before Zeta, you had experience with Beats when you were acquired by Elastic, right? Zeta, is is it your first experience actually fundraising for a company or? Yes, it's my first experience fundraising, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you, how did you manage that? I wouldn't say that it's basically the second time. With Packetbit, there were not so many investors in Berlin at that time. And most of the investors, I mean, all of the investors were having experience with B2C type of companies. So it was more difficult. Nowadays, it's much easier because there are so many investors, even in Berlin. Mm-hmm. The experience was uh, really good from my perspective. I had some hesitation at the beginning to start a company by myself uh, and a female founder or and. Uh, single founder, um, but one of the founders of Elastic encouraged me that this wouldn't be the case that I should be worried about. And actually he was right. So I didn't have any problems uh, or, you know, everything worked uh, uh, smoothly, the, the whole fundraising process. And I also want to learn a little bit about what are the things you did in the beginning kind of like of the Zeta journey to get users? Did you invest time and resources into technical marketing, into community building? Because those are the two common kind of like avenues in developer tools. What was your strategy uh, in the very beginning? 
My thinking is that, uh, you know, there are two types of companies. One company, uh, one type is a company that spend, build a technical product or a dev tool type of product and spend a lot of uh, money and resources on the marketing. And there are companies that just build a good product. And we are the second type. So I feel like building a very good product is important for us because, you know, if you, if you build a product that you have to push users to use it, and I think is not a long-term success in my opinion. So we are, our goal is to build something innovative. My goal is to build something that can be, um, can change how databases are seen by developers and don't spend so much money on, you know, ads uh, and things like this. Of course, we are experiencing now with things like this, but not at the scale of how other companies are doing this. We are encouraging everyone from our developers to go and speak at conferences. I think in my opinion, this is very important. I've seen this before, is that developers can build better products if they are in direct contact with the users. Why? Because you, you know, they, they are building something, they are building a feature, and then they kind of see how the users are experiencing with uh, using their feature. And then they will know what exactly they need to improve in order to build a better user experience and a better product. I want to go back to the serverless applications a little bit. So right now we are, I think, at the surge of the serverless, you know, hype. Can you share your opinion on how it's changing the landscape of database and service usage in general? What what are some trends that you're seeing on the market right now? Yeah, so definitely serverless uh, applications are, you know, serverless approach is more and more common and uh, there was a growth. Um, the problem is that there are not enough tools out there to build um Know, a good experience. So, for example, there are there were not so many uh, serverless databases. Uh, so, you know, it was um, like we experienced at Tupu was a showstopper for you, right? And and now there are more and more that are starting to be in the space. I think the future will will show us. It's interesting you build Zeta strategy around being. Innovative, right? In the market, you propose something new, a new kind of like showstopper solution, as you said it. And you mentioned a little bit about how you identified that gap in the tech market. Do you have any advice for other founders on how to, how to identify those gaps? And maybe you have any advice to those people who are trying to solve, you know, to, to propose novel solutions to existing problems? How do you go about that? That sounds like a big challenge. So I didn't have experience with the database space before, but coming from a different space, from the monitoring space, where basically you are on the other side, you have a large, a huge amount of data that you need to store and you kind of have a different perspective. And then coming to the database space, you kind of know what are the needs of the user and you cannot really, you kind of have, uh, I think a different view, uh, in the new space. 
I think it's always uh, important. So that's why I changed a few times the space. Uh, I was sometimes feels like, uh, oh, something is new. I have no idea about database internals, but I think it's very important that you have a fresh eye because you have higher chances to build something or to identify a gap that others did basically. They were in the same space, couldn't. And one of the, I, I don't want to give names, but someone that was on the board of uh, another big database company, he said that, you know, there are lots of database companies over the years, they were competing with their database company uh, and everyone wanted to, you know, build a database that is faster, more scalable and and you have a different approach. You want to make it uh, more easier to use and and uh, to make the life of developers easier and to be able to offer all this functionality that, you know, for example, Postgres nowadays is the most common used database. Uh, but, and what we are building is that we are building all these features on top of Postgres in order to make your life easier. Yeah. Sounds, sounds pretty exciting because, you know, bringing on that amazing developer experience and increasing, ultimately increasing developers' productivity is kind of like the role of developer tool space. You know, we want to equip developers with better tools, with better experience because they do spend, you know, their whole days looking at the monitor, kind of like engaging with the tools. So I really like that approach that you have. So my final question would be, uh, what's next for Monica Sarbu with, you know, so many achievements under your belt? What are some initiatives that you're looking forward to in, in the coming years? So currently I'm concentrating on SETA and I'm very excited about this opportunity and, um, about uh, building something that is innovative, building something that can help companies build better applications. Uh, I'm also very excited to be an angel investor. Um, and kind of the main reason why kind of this, I decided to be an angel investor is my experience with rising around. And initially I wanted to rise uh, around from angel investors. And my main goal was to have a diversity in our cap table. It was very difficult to achieve. So now my goal is to help other companies have a diversity in their cape table. And I think this is, yeah, this is something that I want to do. Sounds pretty exciting. I tend to end my episodes with a warm fuzzy. That's what I call it, the last section. And in the section, I ask you to share something that makes you feel great about what you're doing at the moment. What makes you feel great about your current situation? I always was fortunate to work on products that I really like and I really love. I think this is key, uh, in my opinion, for uh, building something that, um, you know, you wake up in the morning and you are energized that this is something that I want to do. And for me, you know, at the beginning of my career, when I was writing code, uh, my goal was always uh, building something and, 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 you know, over the years, this kind of shifted, right? So because at, this, at some point I had to concentrate fully on managing uh, teams and 
you know, sometimes I was writing documentation uh, and kind of filling the gaps of, uh, of the team, of what the team didn't have time to do. So for me, it was always about um, building something that, you know, you know that can change the life of developers. And, and um, yeah, and this is something that um, I'm still doing it. <laughs> Sounds like a big bit sad mission. I'm not sure. Yeah. And last and not least, I want to provide space for you to give, you know, a call to action to our listeners. What do you want them to do? Do you want them to check Zeta? Uh, what is it that you want them to do? Yeah, definitely. I would love to encourage everyone to have a look at Zeta.io and please let us know uh, what features yeah, you are more excited about and let us know what features are missing from the product and we'd love to hear about your feedback uh, and yeah sounds pretty great thank you so much it was such a pleasure to have you today and uh, i think this is an exciting time for us to do what we're doing yeah it was lovely and lovely to to chat with you thank you for catching yet another episode of dev propulsion labs we at Evil Martians transform growth stage startups into unicorns, build developer tools, and create open source products. If your developer tool needs help with product design, development, or SRE, visit evilmartians.com slash devtools. See you in the next.